Can you believe that this week leads up to Christmas? So guys, you only have this week to buy your wife a present. Just thought I'd throw that out there. If you haven't done so, she might appreciate it. But this morning, we are going to conclude our series, which I've described called God's Indescribable Gifts. We have seen through the past four weeks the gift of God's love. And doesn't God love us? He has demonstrated that love to us by the giving of his son that was born in Bethlehem, Jesus Christ, that would grow to be a man and suffer and die on the cross for us. That's love. We have seen the gift of forgiveness, which God is offering to each of us. We have sinned against God, and what a wonderful thing that it is that we all can be forgiven because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We have also been given the gift of joy. We need more joy in the world today, don't we? It's difficult times, stressful times, but there is a joy which difficult times cannot rob us of, and that joy is found in no other than Jesus Christ. In fact, when we come and we think about God's indescribable gifts, there, there could be so many more descriptions of what God has given us, but the key to it all is that what God has given us is given to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And that is true of our subject today because God has given us the gift of peace. And, and there's many aspects to this word peace found in the Old and New Testaments. You may have heard of that Old Testament word shalom. It's used in greetings, but, but it, 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 it is throughout the Old Testament, and the New Testament word is arene. Uh, both describe a sense of, of, of harmony, as an, a sense of tranquility, it could be used uh, between nations that they're at peace one with another. It could be used with, 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 among uh, family members. Anybody ever fight with their sibling? And mom, all she prays for is peace between the siblings. I think my mom prayed that way too many times. This true story now, I'm a, I, I, I lie not, scouts honor, the whole bit. My sister and I, my sister is five years older than me, and uh, we fought like cats and dogs. And one day, my mom walked in the room, no joke, my sister had a knife, I had a baseball bat. No joke, tell, tell me, my mom prayed for peace. But this morning, we are going to look at not necessarily the peace among nations or the peace among people but a peace that is spiritual, a peace that is between you and God, a rest that we can experience in our life. Wouldn't we like some peace this morning? Anybody ever had any sleepless nights? Anxieties in life? 
Do you know that God can give us a peace that he intends for us to have through his son, Jesus Christ? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at a familiar verse, by the way, in Luke chapter 2, verse 14. No, I'm not repeating my message from last week, but I'm using one particular scripture from last week's message. This message in Luke chapter 2, or this verse in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, the, the, the angelic host that appeared before the shepherds while they were in the fields, sharing with them about the birth of Jesus Christ. They sang, in a sense, this song, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace. I want to share with you three aspects of peace that we can experience through Jesus Christ. First of all, you can experience peace between you and God. This is a, 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 the most important type of peace that we can experience is, is the peace that is between you and God. Because you see, there is a natural need for conflict resolution. You like that, Brother Lynn? Conflict resolution. You know, conflict resolution between man and God. You see, I want you to understand this morning that, that God has never changed. God has always been constant. He's he, he's, he's always been loving, he's always been kind, he's always been gracious, he's always been truthful, he's always been honest, he has always had our best interests at heart. It's man that has become hostile towards God. God, he is, he is loving and created man perfect to have an intimate relationship with us, but yet something went wrong. And there was a need for some conflict resolution. I love what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, verses 18 through 19. He says, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. You see, what we see here is that from Adam's sin has put man in a position to be on the outs with God. It's not God that's changed. It's not God who, who offended us. We offended God naturally because of Adam's sin. So we are born sinners naturally. And because of that sin, it brings hostility. Some translations will have the word enmity. We are enemies of God. And so there's a great need for reconciliation. But I love in this same scripture that talks about because of Adam's sin brought this hostility between God and the whole human race. It's through the obedience of one, Jesus Christ, that can bring reconciliation. And you see, God provided the means to be reconciled to God. Or God provided the means to be reconciled to man. Man to God. Now that I read that, I should have probably clarified that a little sooner. Because it's not going right in my head. But that's what I mean. God provided the means to be reconciled 
to man, or God provided the means for man to be reconciled to God. So look at Romans 5.10. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. What is the means by which God has, has, has used to reconcile us to Himself? Jesus. But not just that baby that was born in Bethlehem, not just the man who, who lived among us and walked among us, not just the man who, who taught the multitudes and fed the hungry and, 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 and you know, caused the blind to see, but this, this Jesus who ultimately paid the ultimate sacrifice of death on the cross. Because that was the only means by which we can be reconciled to God. That that babe from Bethlehem would be that Savior that died on the cross, that was buried, but was raised again. Defeating death and the grave. That we could be at peace with God. And so Jesus is the mean, but look, think about this. Exercising faith is the key to peace between you and God. See, God offers it. He's provided the means, but we have to accept it. We have to believe it. It's the key. He wants us to believe in His Son, Jesus Christ, that we might be at peace and have a relationship with Him. Paul wrote in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, when we understand of His suffering and death for us, and we cry out to God to save us, we're unworthy, we're not righteous in of ourselves, but God has justified or declared us righteous before Him by faith, by believing. And because of that, as a result, we have peace of God. No longer are we hostile towards Him. No longer... Are we enemies of God, but we are children of God? No longer are we, you know, uh, uh, on the outs, but we're on the ins with God. And we begin to walk in a close, intimate relationship with Him. I'm so thankful what Jesus Christ has done for me. And I hope you're thankful for what Jesus Christ has done for you. So when the angelic host saying, let there be peace on earth, what they were praying for, what they were singing about, what they were hoping is that man would be at peace with God, that there wouldn't be any hostility. But you know, there's still people today that are hostile towards God. There's people who just shake their fist at him. You know, when things go wrong in life and hardships happen, they just, they're, they're just angry and they're mad and they shake their fists when, when what they really need to understand that, that, that there's no need for that. There's sin in the world, things go wrong, but, G, but God had provided Jesus to be, to be the answer, to be the solution to our problem, that we could have peace with God. And we so desperately need that in our life. So that is the first aspect of peace. The second is that you can experience peace in the storm. 
You see, a lot of people think that true peace is the absence of all trouble. I'm sad to say, if that's your definition, you'll never have peace. Because there's always going to be trouble. There's always going to be difficulty. There is always going to be trials. But what God offers us is that we can have peace, tranquility, amidst the, the most difficult times of our life. This week, as I was studying for the message, I stumbled across in different cultures how they define peace. Sometimes in different languages, they don't have just a singular word for peace, but they have a, a description. And I came across this, this one, which was uh, languages of Ecuador and Bolivia Indians, uh, that they have expression for peace it means to sit down in one's heart. Think about that for a minute. I was talking to Brother Lynn earlier, he said that, that the, 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 the people of Kenya have a word, something similar, that we're just, we're just, you know, we're constantly just racing around, racing around anxiety, just, just, just going from one place to another, rushing, 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 just, just, just never settling down. And that's what being not at peace is like, right? We're just, we're, our mind just races and goes and we fret and we have anxiety. And what we need to do is learn how to sit in one's heart and be at peace. I think there's a natural struggle to being at peace within the storm. Think about Jesus and his disciples. He walked with them for three and a half years and he taught them, he poured into them, but there was a time amidst that, that, that discipling, that mentoring, that, that educating time that, you know, they were on a boat and Jesus was asleep. And the storm came and, oh my goodness, it was, they were fretting. They thought they were going to die. <laughs> but they had the Savior right in the boat with them. And they, they, they woke up Jesus Say, Master, we're going to perish. We're going to die. Jesus calmed the storm. And as he said probably numerous times, ah, ye of little faith. I think there's a natural struggle that men experience anxiety and anguishing circumstances. We just don't have this calm and I wish I, could, I, wish, I wish I could master this today. I, I mean, let's face it, there's something natural that as soon as something difficult happens, who doesn't face some sense of anxiety? I do, and I know many of you do. But just as natural the struggle is amidst the storm, there is a solution to being at peace within the storm. Jesus. Jesus. Because several times throughout the New Testament, we find that Jesus tried to calm the hearts of his disciples. Right before his arrest, and ultimately that led to his crucifixion, he shared with them this thought, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. 
And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. God gives us as a gift peace in and through his son. Their world was about to be turned upside down. The man that they followed, the person whom they call Savior, the one that they committed their lives to, is going to be crucified and taken from them. And he's telling them, have peace of mind and heart. All's going to be okay. I'm leaving, but I'm coming back. And we need that peace of heart. So we struggle, and we want, so desperately want that peace of mind. And sometimes we, we beat ourselves up. We're hard on ourselves when we face those anxious times. Why am I so anxious? I, I trust the Lord, but I'm anxious. It's, it's our human nature. But even the Apostle Paul wrote one of my favorite verses when times I am anxious. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, do not be anxious about anything. <laughs> Easier said than done, Right? Oh, Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. Oh, yeah, he does. He's been shipwrecked, stoned, imprisoned, went hungry. He knows what it means to struggle. But he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayers and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love those words because it reminds me that the source of peace is not in the world. The source of peace does not come from myself. The source of peace comes from God himself. And it reminds me that when I do experience anxiousness, No matter what the situation, I can approach my Heavenly Father because He cares for me. And when I do so, I have to remember that, that, that when, I, when, I, when I make my request, and He wants us to make our requests. You know it's okay to tell God that you're hurting? He knows that, by the way. You can tell God that you're struggling, that you don't understand. He understands that too. He knows you better than you think. But make those requests, but remember that when you make them, have a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving. I know that's sometimes hard when times are just tough. But I know this, when I face times of anxiety, I remind myself, okay, what can I be thankful for? How can I thank God? How can I have a heart of gratitude even though I'm struggling? There is something to be thankful for. And we make those requests. And when we pray to God, we have a heart of thanksgiving that we begin to experience the peace which God gives, which trans it, it, it's beyond explanation. We sit down in one's heart. We have a calmness. God's got this, and I'm going to lean on him, and I can be at peace. 
But I want to share something else with you about this. I think we need to be a people who prepare ourselves for peace. What do I mean by that? Well, Alicia, I'm so awesome that you are in the army, correct? And uh, we're pr our, our prayers are with you as you take this journey. But when I served in the army, um, <laughs> you know, I served, I thought I was gonna make it a career. I thought I was gonna do 20 years. God had other plans. I remember when we were alerted to go to Desert Storm, the anxious feelings that, are, that, that arose among several of our soldiers. In fact, Alicia, in fact, one guy literally said, I didn't join the army to fight in a war. I just did it for college money. Um, then you're in the wrong profession because that's always a possibility. But I, I remember when, as, as we deployed to Desert Storm and all of our training, I mean, we trained and trained and trained and trained and did exercises, did exercises, did exercises, ever wondering that are we going to put any of this to use? I remember on two occasions specifically, uh, our unit, I was in, uh, we were attached, I was in 2-1 cab, we were attached to 1-7 cab, 1st Cavalry Division. Uh, we were doing zone reconnaissance among uh, Wadi Al-Badin there in the tri-border area of Kuwait, Iraq, and Saudi Arabia. And uh, we were kind of the eyes and ears for General Schwarzkopf. We, would, we never do zone reconnaissance during the day usually, but we did this time because we wanted them to see us. What a plan, right? <laughs> so several weeks before the ground war, we would go in and uh, we would get in a little skirmish every now and then. And you know, uh, artillery would fall around us. And you would think that if artillery falling around you, that would be the most difficult and stressful time. But do you know what? For some reason, I had a peace as artillery fell around me. I mean, it was still far, somewhat. But we knew it was getting closer. And we just didn't know when the next one, where it hit or fall. But we just kept going backwards and backwards and backwards. And we did our job. Another occasion is the first day of the ground war, we didn't move. The second day, we went up and uh, we ran into some remnants of the Republican Guard. And, um, and there's one word that a driver, which I was of a Bradley M3 fighting vehicle with a 25 millimeter chain gun. Oh, sorry. It's a really cool vehicle. But... But something that we also train for is that when, when you hear the word missile, it's the responsibility of the driver to pick up the missile. He gives you a clock position. You turn the vehicle towards the missile. If you can pick it up, usually it's wire guided. It has a smoke trail. And uh, you pick it up and you start going towards the missile. Crazy, huh? And you speed up, you slow down, you begin to zigzag, make no pattern, whatever. And once soon as you think it's impact, you make a hard left or right and pray that it doesn't hit. Well, I heard my gunner say missile and give me a clock position. And with calmness of heart, I began to look for it. I couldn't pick it up at first. And finally I did, and I zigzagged here and there, 
And as soon as I thought I was going to, and I'd lose it from time to time from zigzagging and everything happening and radios in your ears and just chaos, war is chaos. And I missed, and it went right between us and another vehicle. Don't know which vehicle it was aiming for, but it missed. Thank the Lord. But as I sat back and reflected on this, I was calm through each battle. Do you know why? I was prepared. Prepared. I trained, I trained, I trained. So when the time came, I could do my job. I could do it naturally. I was at peace. It was when, the, when it was over, I sat back going, what did we just do? But I was at peace during the whole conflict because of preparation. And I thought about this, that we can experience the, the, the peace of God because we need to prepare ourselves for it. Well, how do we prepare? Well, I know this seems so academic, but we all really need to spend time with God. We need to spend time in his word. We need to spend time with prayer. We need to spend time with his people. Learning his principles from his word can equip us for the storms ahead. We prepare for the storm. And so when those come, we're like, I can be at peace. God's got this. We need to prepare. Prepare for peace. Notice what Jesus said. I have told you these things so that in me you may have what? Peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You know what he also says? Greater is he who is in you than it's in the world. We can experience the peace of God. And he told us these things that we might prepare ourselves to experience his peace in the most difficult of times. The third aspect is that you can experience peace in the age to come. In the age to come. There's a time coming which we call the heaven age. And the heaven age is described as a time of eternal peace. Do you love the book of Revelation? I love the book of Revelation. Right at the end, we, get, we know what, how it all concludes. We all know how it ends. God wins. And his children are with him for all eternity. And in the book of Revelation, in chapter 21, it describes to us, as John sees in this revelation, he says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. Isn't that exciting? He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Wouldn't that be exciting? It's coming. We can experience an eternal peace in the age to come. All those tears that we've shed throughout our life, wiped away all the pain and heartache that we experience I'll, I'll be honest with you right now standing up here my knees killing me it hurts my eyes are failing me right and all of that will be gone 
I was in a discussion with a, a pastor that called me and was asking me what our bodies will be like in eternity. And I said, I don't know, but I sure hope I'm slimmer <laughs> and better looking. But one thing I do know is the descriptions that we have seems to be absent of sin, of difficult times. It'll be a time of peace because we will be at home with God. He will be in our midst. And there is no better place than I long for than being in the presence physically with God, don't you? The heaven age is for all who desire to come. As John's concluding this book of Revelation, there seems to be this, 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 this invitation that is made in Revelation twenty two seventeen. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires to drink freely from the water of life. God is not withholding his peace from anyone. He wants all to experience, and he gives this invitation to come. That you can have peace with God right now. You can have peace and, and, and tranquility of heart through life, and you will have definitely peace in the heaven ages. And he says, come. You might say, well, you know what? I've done so many bad things against God. I have said, I've done so many things. God doesn't care. He sent Jesus to die on the cross. And he's saying, come, put down your pride. Set aside the ignorance of these lies that Satan's telling you of reason not to come. I've loved you. I've demonstrated to you. I'm willing to forgive you. I'm willing to give you joy and I'm willing to give you peace. Come and drink of the water of life. Come. And the heaven age is something to anticipate. It's coming. John said, he who testifies to these things say, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Do you believe that Jesus is coming soon? I believe he's coming soon. I long for his coming. I'm anticipating his coming. I, I'll be honest with you, you know what my prayer is? I pray that my grandchildren don't see the devastation that could be. I just want Jesus to come back. I'm ready. I want the Lord to come because I know when he comes, guess what he's bringing with him? Benjamin will experience eternal peace. He's going to put to rest all the chaos that is in the world. He's going to bind Satan and throw him in the lake of a fire forever and ever. We don't have to worry about sin. We won't have to worry about being deceived. Life is going to be perfect because of Jesus. 
And that's a peace that we'll get to live and experience for all eternity. Do you long for that peace? You can have that peace by trusting Jesus. By trusting him today. If you'll stand with me, we're going to if you'll just bow your heads with me just for a moment, and I want to lead us in a prayer. I'm going to invite our pastor to come. And if you're here this morning, not knowing Christ as your Savior, maybe you're not at peace with God, I pray that you'll settle that in your heart today. And so as I pray, if you want to come and you want to speak to our pastor, if you want to just cry out to Jesus to save you and to forgive you, He will. But there is a great invitation to come. Will you come today? Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for loving us, for giving Your Son Jesus on the cross at Calvary, that we can experience forgiveness, that we can experience joy, and that we can experience peace. And Father, I pray this morning, if there's one here today that is not in a right relationship with you, that they're not at peace with you, Lord, maybe they, they have yet to call upon you for salvation, I pray today will be the day. I pray that they'll cry out to you and accept you that they can experience the peace that we have talked about today. Father, I pray for those that might be going through difficult times. Maybe their life is filled with anxiety. Father, I pray that you'll give them your overwhelming peace. And Father, I pray, I pray for the time. We pray for your coming that we can all experience the eternal peace to realize what you've given to us when this chaotic world will be put to rest. And Father, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen.